What is up guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength of Physique with your hosts Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are bettering themselves with fitness. So welcome back to All The Smoke on Strength of Physique. We got the special get the specialist guest I think we've had thus far. Dr. Bill Campbell, if you don't know him and you're in the physique science or bodybuilding, or if you're just trying to improve your body composition and you don't know him, you're doing it completely wrong. So Dr. Campbell, I appreciate you coming on. Um, he said this is his third podcast. That's how busy this guy is. But I guess think we got the inside scoop, so we had to come on. So Dr. Campbell, for those people, I'm going to say the joke, Chris, for our five listeners that don't know who you are, Dr. Campbell, could you go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, Bill Campbell. I got my PhD from Baylor University in 2007. It was in exercise, nutrition, and preventive health. And I've been a professor of exercise science at the University of South Florida for almost 14 years. It will be 14 years this August. And the only reason I remember that is because my daughter is 14 years old and she was literally born about a, a few months before we came here. So it's always easy for me to remember that. And I direct the Performance and Physique Enhancement Laboratory, which you're both very intimate knowledge of. And we basically have two focuses. One is on performance enhancement, and that usually focuses on resistance training performance. So maximizing strength, maximizing uh, power performance, muscular endurance. And then the other focus is physique enhancement. And that's where we've been for the last four or five years. And that is all about losing fat, maintaining muscle or gaining muscle. Nice. Yeah. It's always been a pleasure. I've been with you for quite some time, even an undergrad, and it's been great to watch yourself in the lab just grow. Um, I remember sandbags being over there by the, the squat racks and now it's, it's a beauty. I miss it tremendously. So could you go ahead, if you don't mind, tell us about some of the current research, because I know ISSN is coming up. Um, some of the uh, research that you would plan to present if that is allowed? Yes. Yeah, I can, I can discuss some of what we're going to. I can't really give the results, but I can tell you about the study. So we, all three of us on here, are going to be presenting data on, through the abstract posters, uh, a rapid fat loss study. So what, what we did with that study is, well, the, 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 the emphasis behind the study was a, a kind of a, a it's going to be or has become a life's mission of mine. I want to know how much fat we can take off of the human body in the shortest amount of time without causing damage. And when I say damage, I mean, let's not lose muscle mass and let's not try to suppress metabolism or tank hormones as well. So what is that threshold of how aggressive can we be so that we maximize fat loss, but yet maintain muscle mass? So this is the first of what will probably be maybe the rest of my career, this type of work where we're going to be aggressive and look at different types of variables along with being aggressive, whether it's different training programs, different protein intakes, different dietary supplements, et cetera. So we put people on a two-week aggressive diet. They were prescribed a 37.5% caloric deficit on average over two weeks some little nuances with what we did with that. And our main question was, if you are resistance training during those two weeks, if you have high protein, a gram per pound or 2.2 grams per kg, can you maintain your muscle mass? Can you keep your metabolism from slowing down? And can how much fat do you lose? So if anybody is attending the ISSN conference in about two weeks, we will be presenting that data there at the conference. And I will say the results of that study ha has made a major shift in what I think about rapid fat loss. Um, maybe we can do this again in a few months. Well, I'll have some other studies. We'll have a flexible dieting study that will be published soon. So maybe we can talk about both of those studies. But yeah, the results... Were, were surprising on one of the variables. Um, like I said, so much so that a lot of what I thought um, I'm now questioning about, about these, these um, short-term diets. And so like, you, like you mentioned, this one was only two weeks. Do you have, 
uh, well, of course you've looked into it. Have you looked into what other studies or has there been a lot of research on this topic or maybe research that didn't directly look at this, but you guys were able to get information out and how long did they look at? Yeah, there was one, first of all, there's very little research in, in the population that we study. So the population that we study is, well, it is not an obese population and they are not bodybuilders. They're kind of this hybrid of people who are fitness enthusiasts who are already relatively lean. And when I say lean in the scientific realm, if you're not obese, you're considered lean. So they're lean from scientific journal um, perspectives and they're people that just want to be a little bit leaner. So they're very serious about their nutrition and their training. So that's kind of the, that's the research that, that, that's, that's the market that our research serves that, that fitness enthusiast. And when you try to find other research to compare it to your, there's just a handful there. Um, in fact, once, once this study gets published along with two or th with along with two other ones that we already that will that are in the peer review process i, I don't think there's going to be another lab that has more published work in this area of weight loss in people who aren't overweight and that resistance training so i think i just described yeah the, the population and when i looked at the other research there was one study that was a two week rapid fat loss study that was judo athletes. That was a little more performance based. Uh, they, I can't remember the caloric deficit. It might've been 50% lost a, a lot of fat free mass. Now some of that might've been water weight. There was a one month study in Dr. Stu Phillips lab. It's, I always call it the Longland study. That's um, the, the, the first author's last name. That was a one month 40% caloric reduction in overweight and obese males who were previously untrained. And we've got um, a five and a half to eight week study looking at different rapid rates, rapid versus slower rates of weight loss in resistance trained people. That's when you, that's, that's getting yeah. about, that's, it, that's, we're starting to name everything that's been yeah. done in the population. And I think this opens up, uh, like you said, this, this might be your remaining focus because it's such a non-research topic. And I think it's really important to consider the population is it's just fitness enthusiasts. I know there's been a lot more case studies and a lot more just focus on bodybuilders than there has in the past. But I mean, there, this is a specific population that we can find out a lot about. And then other populations that we can then go take those and experiment it with as well. So it'll be very exciting to see these studies. The only one that I'm familiar with is the rapid fat loss that I assisted with, but I'm excited to see these others as well. Now, rapid fat loss is not go. This is something that relates to your three principles of fat loss of losing weight slowly, not being rapid, uh, could you go ahead and tell us those three main principles just for our listeners and what sort of guided you in the direction of, I guess, identifying these as core principles? Yeah, I was just looking for my book. I was going to show you when I get to what, what kind of guided me there, but the three principles of fat loss. And again, we have to make sure that we're, we're focusing on the, the correct population. So this is for, not for obese individuals because there may be a place for obese individuals to lose fat more quickly or lose weight more, more, more rapidly. But three principle number one is don't lose weight too fast. Keep it slow. And the reason that I advocate that is we don't, for the same reasons we just mentioned, we don't want to lose muscle mass and we don't want to suppress metabolism. So take it slow. And I'll be honest, the longer I've, I've been in this space, if it does nothing else, it just Hopefully it's the one voice in the wilderness or the one voice in the universe who tells people, I don't have to lose 10 pounds in a month, or I shouldn't expect this. Everybody, everybody, when they go on a diet, it is not fast enough. And how do I know this? Because I go on diets and I'm frustrated with how slow it is. And I know better. And I still think this isn't working. What am I doing wrong? And then I'm like, I hit myself in the head. It's like, stop it. I'm, I'm the preacher here. So 
yes, it's not normal to lose a lot of weight fast. And you only set yourself up for future weight loss success when you do that. Now, again, somebody who's 450 pounds, I'm not talking to that population. There may be health reasons or it may be appropriate for them. Principle number two is do not decrease protein when dieting. So we have a lot of data in obese weight loss research that suggests when you increase protein in a caloric deficit, fat loss is significantly greater, muscle mass is better maintained, and the, the rate of fat loss is actually improved as well. Then the third principle is resistance train when dieting. And quickly, I look at dieting as a catabolic environment. Everything about a caloric deficit is catabolic. You're losing fat, good. You're also losing muscle. You're breaking down tissues. Resistance exercise is one mode of exercise that introduces an anabolic stimulus in an otherwise catabolic phase of your life. So let's do more of that during a catabolic diet. Um, and you can say the same thing about protein as well. The other question you asked is where did the, where did, what guided me on this? So I wrote a textbook, um, boy, I don't know, seven years ago now. It was a sports nutrition textbook, which you guys probably, probably have. And yes, it was sports nutrition and it was more focused on performance enhancement but I couldn't bring myself to not include a chapter on body composition. And I just, I was just, you know, at a time in my life and I, I can get specific here, especially for Adam, I had just gotten tenure and basically the next year, it really didn't matter what I did. Like I, I wasn't under a lot of pressure to publish a lot of uh, research in terms of academic journals. No, I'm sorry. This was going into my year of, of, my, my tenure review. So I wasn't, anything I did that year, it wasn't going to make a difference on whether I got tenure or not. So it was the perfect year to write a book because writing books are, it's a time warp one. And in my, in my line of work, you, you want to show that every year you're publishing journals. But again, this is the one year where it didn't matter. So I said, yeah, let's do this. And I knew it was an investment of time. And I, I, I can't say I set out to come up with three principles, but as I was writing that chapter, looking at all the data, the principles just kind of manifested themselves to me as I read the literature. I'm like, huh, this is when people go on crash diets, the outcomes aren't good. When people have low protein, the outcomes aren't good. And when you don't resistance train. So uh, through the process of just focusing on the general concept of body composition and, and dieting, I would just say it, they surfaced and I, I, I know people like numbered lists. So I said, ah, let's make this a list. <laughs> so I did. So there's the three principles of fat loss. And three, three is a good number for sure too. So, yeah, that's, I don't forget them. <laughs> um, so, you know, regarding those principles, right. Do you believe that, you know, it's not just calories versus or calories in versus calories out what other aspects or, considerations do you think are just as important? Um, obviously with those principles kind of building off of those, um, but what other aspects, either working with a bodybuilder or a general gen pop individual, what other considerations would you take when in starting a fat loss phase? Yeah. So my, my thickest filter or my first filter is caloric deficits. It's you have to start there. You don't have to, but I think it's wise. You start there. I also believe, because the only, the other area that's a little bit, I don't want to say controversial, but the, the other area that gets a lot of attention right now is hormones. So is it hormones? Is it calories in, calories out? And I, I personally think that the, the calories are the puppet master. That's what's dictating the hormones. So the hormones respond to the calories. And I think where people get it wrong is they think, oh, no, they go right to hormones and think that the hormones are conducting the orchestra. And I, I don't think that. That's not to say that hormones aren't important. So one of the areas, and I, and I would say I'm frustrated, but I'm, I'm ignorantly frustrated. I'm not. There are some people in our field, in our space, we'll call it the evidence-based space, 
where it's 100% calories in, calories out, and they close the book, and, and that's it. And I, I just, I know too many people, too many coaches that I respect that have clients that cannot lose fat, and they would, they would swear on their life that their clients are in a caloric deficit. So I, I get people that call me, like they want to consult, and I don't really do consults, but I get consult calls. What can I do with this client? So you hear enough of that. I, I just, I, there's more to it than calories in, calories out, um, in some cases. And in that case, the next place I would go is, okay, are there any hormonal imbalances that would make sense that could explain why there's a resistance to further fat loss? So. I filter, but I'm, I'm filtered with calories in, calories out, but I'm not an absolutist. If somebody's struggling, I, I'm open to other ideas. Now, if they're struggling during a fat loss phase and say like their calories are maybe just too low, what is a method that you're going to kind of utilize then? If again, they're following those three principles of fat loss, their resistance training, you know, they tried to take it slow. They're in a deficit and as well, they're eating a high protein diet. What is the next move that you would make for that individual? Well, what I have done is I call Paul Revelia <laughs> or Lane Norton or Lauren Conlon, like John Gorman, Will Grazion. So I go to my network or Adam, I'll ask you or Chris, I'll ask you, have you dealt with this? Um, and I, I do that because I don't, I'm not a coach. My research is on the calories aspect of this. So I'm, I'm in the process of learning. So uh, the first thing I would do though, if I didn't have, and everything I know is coming from coaches because there's not a lot of research on this stuff. Um, I would ask for blood work and I would say, what's not optimized is, um, so something that coaches have impressed upon me, if cortisol levels are very high. And again, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying coaches that I respect believe what I'm about to tell you. And therefore I, out of my respect, I think there may be something to that. Um, I guess I should step back. Sleep would be the first thing is, is sleep constantly disrupted or is, is that consistently good? If cortisol levels are high, fasting cortisol levels in the morning, that, so I'm told by people that I respect, that can be a, a major roadblock to fat loss in some people. So maybe we would suggest a um, changing something about the training program. Is, is, is there, and I, when I use the word overtraining, you're not going to find a one mark of overtraining, but can we adjust the training to see if that would be causing an elevated cortisol level? Um, I do have one client now with, um, with high levels of reverse T3 and I'm spending some time. And again, I'm, this is just somebody I'm, I'm helping. It's not a client. I'm not a coach, but definitely struggling with, with fat loss does everything right. And this is somebody I've known for a long time and we got blood work back and reverse T3 is high. And Reverse T3 can compete with T3, which is a very active metabolic hormone. So I'm trying to teach myself live, like as we speak, you know, this week today, what does that mean? Like, what can I do? And I, I don't have an answer, um, but that's, that's where my mind goes. Blood work, and then are there things that can be done? I think that uh, makes me feel a lot better too, because <laughs> we recently did a podcast and bless... William Grazione, he invited us to his office. We worked out with him. An amazing guy. Shout out to him. A lot of respect. But that's something he focuses heavily on because Gillis came from that field of hormonal work and he was under physician and that's all he did was uh, red lab work. And that's how he and William Grazione became so effective with it, but it's something I don't know. And it makes me feel a lot more comfortable that you don't know much about it either. Um, what yeah. do you, what do you feel about like a starting point? Cause like you said, calories in calories out is of course important, but the hormonal side responds to a low calorie amount. Like you'll see uh, a negative effect with your hormones. If you're not eating enough or you're eating sub 1000 calories. What do you recommend for those gen pop individuals 
that just come to a coach not eating a lot because it's something I experience a lot. And my initial focus is, okay, we can train. Let's not train too much and let's focus on eating better. Would you say that's a safe approach or what, what approach and how high would you recommend going for calories depending on the individual? My, my, my approach would be, and again, you guys are the, the experts with, with coaching, not me, but what, what I would do is, I'm not saying this is easy, but I would increase calories slowly over time and, and see if, if that changes anything for the positive. And I think it would give it enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hard part of that is to sell that to a client because why are they coming to us to lose, coming to lose fat? And here you are saying, we don't, that is not a good approach. And, and I, and I have the luxury. I don't, I don't make money from coaching. I'd say go to a thousand other coaches. If you wanted that, if you're asking for my help, we're going to treat your body as a scientific experiment. And you're going to commit to this for three months and we're going to increase your calories. And I want you to admit, like literally sign a contract that you can expect to gain fat, but that's part of the plan. And I would almost put it in the head, you're going to gain five pounds of fat, something higher than what I think would actually happen. But just to orient their minds to, oh, I gained three pounds. And Dr. Campbell said that I would gain up to five. So I want to change their entire universe of thinking, get that by and which again, I'm making it sound easy. It's not. And to do that, I'm selling five years, 10 years. You're thinking this month or next week at the beach. I'm thinking a lifestyle physique for you for the rest of your life. And we will have this data on you for three. Like I would ask them, hey, what happens if you increase your calories by 3% every week for three months? And of course, they would say, I don't know. Well, wouldn't you like to find out? Don't you think that's valuable information for your life if you're into fitness and, and you struggle with weight gain. I struggle with weight gain. I can get, I'll gain weight quickly. If I stop tracking my macros, I do. It, it happens fast for me. Um, I'm either all in or all out. Sandra Campbell loves his Chipotle. That's why. <laughs> oh yeah. I, so when I diet, like I'm dieting now, I just get bowls. And when I'm not dieting, I get the, the burrito or three. <laughs> yeah. I love food. Um, and there's a lot of people like me. And I think a lot of people, People in fitness don't like to admit that. Some people don't. They're not obsessed with food. Um, and it's funny. You guys see this. There's this big push towards intuitive eating. And, and I think it's the utopia. I think it's the destination and it's great. But I think a lot of people pushing that are people who aren't, who don't struggle with weight gain. They're not food focused. They're not food obsessed. And, and they just don't get it. And I'll say that. Not, again, Intuitive eating is the destination. It's the place where I wish everybody would be. So when you say that, I always think intuitive eating is such a broad term. And I would rather it be called like educational eating. So let's lay down this foundation, tracking your macros for months, years, etc. And now you can wean off of tracking and understand, hey, that's four ounces of chicken. That's X amount of grams of whatever it is. But now you have a visual approach because you've done it for so long. You have the experience, but somebody that's just straight up coming and says, Oh, I can intuitive eat and I can do all that. It's like, do you even know how much that is? Or do you know how you don't even know what a, a protein carbon fat is? So I don't think that it, it, I think it's such a bad in, in, interpretation of what that term actually means. Um, when I think of intuitive eating, I think, okay, I'll step away, but like, I'm more eating educational rides instead of maybe having sauces and all of that. Like I'm going to get them on the side so I can control what I can put on whatever entree or meal I'm going to have. But I'm, it's not when you say in TV and you just go into, like you said, la la land and Hey, I can eat whatever I want and not gain weight or lose weight and stuff like that. I think again, that's, that's some type of fantasy. And I, I, I try to watch what I say with that is that you're not eating intuitively. You're eating educationally because now we've built the experience, you know, what everything kind of looks like and you can kind of decipher what you can approach your nutrition with. Yeah, I I agree. And I I think the pendulum has swung a little too far in, in, in that direction. Again, I'm for people who struggle. If you don't struggle, it's easy. But if I, if I do anything intuitively, I intuitively overeat. That's just what I do. (laughs) Yeah. I that's, and that's exactly what I was going to mention is 
I intuitively under eat and I will lose weight if I stop tracking food. So it, it might not be in the best interest, but the biggest thing that I've learned uh, since I've been tracking probably for about the last uh, nine months is that I usually in my stomach need to be uncomfortable in order to maintain. And it, that's not the case for everyone. Some people like you, Dr. Dr. Campbell is you'll, you'll stop tracking and you'll gain weight instantly. Uh, and I think that's a thing that some people don't realize is that there, there's a lot more behind intuitive eating than just, Oh, I'll just eat based on what I feel like or how I feel that day. And the hormonal side, I think, plays a lot bigger role that I can't say how big of a role because I'm not familiar with that as much. But something I've learned recently is there is a, I guess you could say like a circadian clock for your eating hormones. And if you can get on an eating schedule, you will likely get hungry at those times every single day. So I and think that makes sense. Yeah. And then you'd want to feed it. You'd want to eat during those times. Yeah. And I think intuitive eating might be at a very early stage that needs to be looked further at and I guess established further before all these people are like, everyone should intuitively eat. And there's just a lot more behind that. I wonder and I, I actually wonder, is there anybody who used to be obese or overweight who, who is able to intuitively eat? Because everybody that I know that advocates, they've never been overweight. And again, that's only a handful of people that I'm thinking of that I know that push that. But um, I'd be curious. I almost think it's a different type of person who just who's never, who doesn't really struggle with hunger. And again, you're struggling with it in the other direction, which I can't relate to. And yeah. you probably can't relate to, to me. Yeah. And I've had a few clients that were overweight and they have lost a lot of weight, uh, 50 plus hundred plus. Uh, I think one might even be 150 plus and they don't track any of their food now, but now it's to a point where they lost all that weight. And now they're having a hard time because they are not eating uh, an optimal amount and they can't lose weight because they're at the exact opposite spectrum. They're not eating too much. They're eating too little and it's their metabolism has adapted to that. And now they're never hungry, but they don't eat a lot as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I've had a few clients that do it, but I'm interested on the bigger picture and if that is a cause for uh, a weight regain as well. Adam, have you had any clients or any experience with that? So, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I just full blown go intuitive eating. Like right? if somebody has um, a good amount of experience with tracking macros, I'll throw in like a free meal or a free day, or like if for a lot, for example, now a lot of people are going back on summer vacations. I say, right. I always have this phrase like food is culture. Culture is life, right? If you're not enjoying life, we're doing something wrong here. So I say, Hey, right? We know the principles, right? We know I instill a lot of those three principles within our clients' mindsets and okay, let's focus on protein. Let's focus on these nutritional dense foods. And more importantly, when you're away, let's focus on a lot of movement, right? Cause you're probably not going to resist your train as much, but instead of taking a shuttle bus or something like that, walk, right? Increase your meat. Um, but I always, I, I say, go ahead and just untrack for that whole week, take it as a diet break or if anything, um, but I always kind of focus, hey, like, let's live in the moment, right? Even if you gain five pounds, right? Coming back home and being consistent for another week or two, maybe we get back better. But those memories, you're never going to gain back. So enjoy yourself while you're there. Um, so I guess that's the kind of approach that I would take, um, I guess, with intuitive eating. But I won't just throw intuitive eating out there. I say, hey, be educational, be smart. And how I guess my phrase, since it's all the smoke on uh, strength of physique, don't eat like an asshole, right? <laughs> if you are there and you're like, Hey, I want all this, this, and this, you're probably, that's probably not a good idea. So dial back. And I always say somebody, Hey, just take four deep breaths, right? If that's what you want to do, by all means, you can do it, but understand the consequences you're going to do. And I always say it's habit-based, right? You're going to do it today. Don't do it tomorrow. Right. I always try to follow that two day principle um, with all of my clients as well, right? Just get back right back on track the next day or the next meal, and et cetera, on that. But other than that, Dr. Campbell, right? So 
I'd like to hear your form because right with scientific research and you just made a really good post recently on the, the retinal scale, if I said that correct, um, right? We want measurements, right? And the scale isn't probably the best measurement for either phase, either if it's a fat loss phase or a reverse or a gaining phase. What other forms or types of measurements would you suggest that are more applicable for general population individuals that are going through those phases? Yeah, and I struggle with this because it needs to be practical. And sometimes what's practical isn't the best approach. So what, what I think is the best, but it lacks a little bit of practicality, is an assortment of measures. So a scale, and I would say one that does body fat percentage, and that would be BIA. So again, Renfo scale, I, I had some issues with. A... So what, um, so let's say a scale, obviously you have the mirror, how your clothes fit. I would also suggest in addition to that, a tape measure around your waist, that's quick. And then finally, th a, a three site skin fold check, which props to you, Adam, you have, you were the best body composition technician in my lab. I'm going to miss you. I, I, had, I had the guidance from the best right there. So that's why. Yeah. Yeah, I just look at the data from the rapid fat loss study. Ah, oh, it's so good. Anyway, um, so what, what I've done recently is, since I'm dieting, I'm trying to follow my own advice. So I, it's not easy, but I do a pinch on myself at my abdomen, uh, an in, on the right-hand side about, you know, about an inch to the right of my belly button. I do a pinch above my hip on the anterior aspect of my hip and another... Um, one on my thigh. So I'm getting two upper body, one lower body pinch with skin folds. I have my scale weight and I have my body fat percentage um, on the scale as well. And then I don't do this, but I would recommend a tape measure. So I've got tape measure, skin folds, scale weight, body fat percentage. So I've got four different measures over time that will hopefully all kind of tell the same story. But if one's off, if one's crazy, well, I've got three or I've got two other ones that can tell me if things are moving in the right direction. The, what I don't like about that is I got to pinch myself three times. So I just do that once a week. I'll do a, a um, I would suggest, I don't do tape measure, but I would suggest tape measure every Sunday, three skin folds every Sunday or Saturday. So once a week, same day, and you do your weigh-ins and your body fat percentage every day because that's quick. You just step on the scale and you take an average, that seven-day average. So that is how I would suggest a general population person who doesn't want to pay money or go to a research facility to get research-grade stuff. I think that's the best. Um, I, I, will, I would say if that's a little much, which it's, it could be, get a great scale that can measure body fat percentage and take a weekly average. That's what I'm, that's what I'm committed to finding. It's just not the Renfo scale. Um, but some, there's going to be some scale out there that's going to fit that. That's yeah, nothing's perfect, but then at least it's quick. Gosh, I, I agree with all of those. Um, what are your thoughts though on maybe taking as well progress pictures? And I heard you hit on it a little bit, just how your clothes are feeling. Um, and I would ask too, what for, I guess, your current situation, what if, you know, all of those objective measures are kind of, you know, just bland and not even giving what you actually feel? What are you kind of telling yourself um, that, hey, stick through it or, hey, you feel really good, but maybe again, the objective measures that haven't dropped yet. Um, what kind of, I guess, mental cues or mental perception are you telling yourself to kind of push forward, although everything is telling you, hey, this isn't working? Yeah, so I, I think I have the advantage of having a scientific mindset. So I'm like, it's to me, it's just data. Like I'm not, I'm I'm happily married. I'm not trying to find the, you know, I'm not trying to pick up anybody. So who cares? My wife could care less if I'm 10, 20 pounds overweight or five pounds overweight. I just better be overweight rather than underweight, uh, according to her. So I, there's, I I'm very blessed. Um, it's data, and the, the the data would tell me in that case what I'm doing is not working let's adjust. So I don't, um, I would just adjust. I would say, yeah, if these measures aren't working, if I have four measures, um, it's, it's not working. So I can get very real here. I I'm doing a diet and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm chronicling that if that's the right word on my Instagram. 
And I realized with my Renfo scale, which I thought I loved, I'm like, this is not moving at all. And I'm, you know, I'm not cheating on anything. And I'm just like, it's not working. It's not going fast enough. And then I realized, okay, I'm going to check the data. And what I did, I don't, were you guys here when we did the, um, the, the, the diet break study? Okay, so that was Madeline. Yes. I don't, I don't think I was a part of that semester. So we gave this home base scale to all of our subjects and I was able to track. We also did test the test reliability so we could see how well it picked up fat loss as compared to ultrasound and a research grade bioelectrical impedance. And I analyzed that data and it just, I mean, it didn't, it didn't track fat loss. It was bad. So then I realized, oh, my scale's not good. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I'm not getting progress because my scale just isn't moving. Now I kind of thought that I kind of had that inkling. Um, but don't forget, I also have my skin folds and that went down a little bit. My scale weights down. So I had enough other metrics to tell me, Hey, this is working, but a lot who, I mean, I don't, or any, is anybody really going to do skin folds and a tape measure? Like, unless they're kind of nerdy, they probably won't. So, um, now that being said, it still went down. Um, I started at like 17.2 and now it's like 17. So it only went down two tenths of a percent, but on that scale, that's a lot. That's a lot of movement for that scale. So that's actually something I saw that post and it actually hit hard with me because mine was the exact opposite because I've been trying to bulk, trying to gain weight, gain muscle. And what is your, what, I guess you would have to have information, but what do you think? Okay. It, it doesn't lose the body fat percent as quickly as it should, or like as much as what is actually happening. So is that the same as if it only goes up 0.2? Are you actually gaining more fat, you think? Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I think it's just not. And let me tell you the reason I love the scale. I love the scale because when I step on it, it gave me the same number every single time. Most scales don't do that. So I'm like, this is great. This is reliable. It's so reliable, it doesn't move at all. <laughs> so it's. Yeah. yeah. In that post, I said it needs to have two things. It needs to be reliable, and it, but it needs to be able to detect. And that's a, probably a dance. It needs to be, it has to be able to detect changes, but you don't want to, you don't want to step on a scale once and it says 10% and then wait two minutes. And the next time it says 38%, like that's worthless. But yes, um, on that scale, if it's slowly going up, yeah, uh, I, I'm, that's, that's, <laughs> That's, you're probably gaining a lot more fat than that. Chris is doing a dirty bulk then. Chris, you're doing a dirty bulk then, my man. No more Oreos for me. <laughs> what, no, so with that scale, though, would you possibly recommend just going off the body fat percentage on one specific day rather than every day? Or is it just that not is just invalid? No, that that for that scale, that would be less of a concern for other scales. I don't like that because what if you have a day of where it's just off and now you you're going to question your whole diet approach, but on that scale, it's not gonna. And I've had people tell me, and I don't know if they're experts or if they're technicians, but they're said, yeah, that scale, it's just basically a straight algorithm with your body weight. And it's not really even measuring <laughs> the impedance. I don't know if that's true. I hope that's not true. I hope that's not either because I was I was excited about that scale. <laughs> I had to use that scale every day. I, I'd be terrible. I'd be terrified if that was the case. Hey, I, they um, in body, which is the use, you know, the one we have. Um, it's that's really good. And um, Adam, that really that tracked almost identical to you. I mean, the change um, with with your skill on the ultrasound. So I love the in body. You confirmed how much I love that InBody. So InBody now sells a home-based scale where you step on it and you hold something out in front of you. Um, it's expensive though. So it's uh, like $350. So I'm doing some just pilot work on that for myself, but that is not very reliable. Like it's, it can be up to a percent off from test to test, you know, stepping on, stepping off. So I, the, the way that you fix that is you, you get on there twice and take the average of the two. And that kind of teases that out a little, but if it's anywhere close to, to what the research grade model is, as long as you do that 
averaging on the daily basis, I think it's going to be able to detect differences over time. I'll be able to tell you, at least in my case. And then I'm going to insert that scale into our next weight loss study so I can get hard data on it as well. Awesome. Now, uh, you for your current, are you in a current fat loss phase, you said? Yes. Are you, something we didn't touch on yet that we wanted to was diet breaks and refeeds. Is that something you like utilizing or in, in what way would you recommend people utilizing them? First, yeah. sorry, sorry. First, could you please define what a diet break and a, a, a refeed is, please? Sure. Yeah, diet break is typically in the research literature, taking a break from your diet that lasts at least one week. So it's seven days off stopping your diet or you're going back to maintenance calories or maybe even a slight surplus. Some studies, it's two weeks. We've even had six weeks studies or six weeks of taking a break from your diet. A diet refeed is the same thing, except instead of a week, it's typically two days or one day, maybe three days of a break from the diet, typically on the weekends. So those are the, the, the same concept. And if you go back earlier, I think it's the same philosophy. When you're dieting, everything about that diet is catabolic. That's good in some aspects, not good in others. When you take a diet break or a refeed, that's one short period of the week or over time that you are in an anabolic or at least not a catabolic environment for that week. So I think there has some tangible value in that regard. When you look at the totality of the research in that area, you're never going to find a study where it was harmful. People aren't gaining excess body fat. You will find research that says it's helpful, not all. It's either helpful where they lose more fat or they maintain their dry fat-free mass, or it's of no benefit. Um, the two, the Jackson Payos from Australia just published a diet break study. They, the one benefit they found was in a psychological variable. I don't remember which one it was, but I think it was disinhibition, which is the feeling of overeating. And we found the same thing in our study. So there are, it seems like there's some psychological benefits. And me personally, I will always use refeeds. Um, so I'm on this 10 week diet uh, every weekend. I don't diet anymore because I, I, we go out, to, I take, I go Chipotle. out. Chipotle. Yes. Uh, Chipotle. I usually get pizza on Sundays. So one for me, it's a mental break. Um, I, I really look forward to eating more food. Again, I'm very food focused and we will be going to Orlando for a week. I don't remember when July. So I won't, I'll take a diet break that week. So I won't now, when I say diet break and refeed, that means I'm still not overeating. I'm going back to maintenance calories. So there's still a level of restraint with these concepts. So I personally, for my lifestyle, they make sense. And are there negatives? Well, one clear negative is it's going to take you longer to lose fat if you keep taking breaks. But guess whose philosophy that aligns with? Mine. I'm never going to try to talk you out of taking a longer time to lose fat. So I don't see that as a, as a negative. I, I actually like, I like the idea of a longer time to lose fat because I think it sets, it puts you in a situation where your, ha your habits are going to be more longer lasting. And something that Adam had texted me some topics for us to talk about. And one that I really was curious about is, do you think, or are there any missing gaps or missing areas that you think could be researched more when it comes to diet breaks or refeeds in general? Uh, yeah, I mean, one, we need, we just need more studies. Um, what, what you're going to see, especially with the study out of Australia, what you're going to see with when we publish our study on diet breaks, you're going to see a people, a lot of people saying they're not, they're not good. They're worthless. I, I don't, if you think that they're going to give you some magic advantage, that's not true. But again, from a psychological standpoint or from a lifestyle physique standpoint. So a lot of people, um, and I would particularly say the bodybuilding mindset is if something doesn't give you an advantage, then it's worthless. And I don't think that's not how I'm, how I interpret diet breaks. Even if they don't give you an advantage, if they're not causing harm and it allows me to adhere to my lifestyle diet better, I think that's advantageous. But you're not, I, I, 
only going to hear that they're no good for the next couple of years is what I think. Yeah. I remember when that first, that study came out, Jackson Payos, I'm pretty sure he slammed you. They said your data was wrong or you guys ran the statistics wrong. And I remember your reply to it was, no, it wasn't wrong. You, I think you were just pretty much saying you, I think you're maybe interpreting the wrong way. Um, but I love, you know, in our physique enhancement class, right. Your, your approach to dieting is, Hey, let's dieting is hard in itself, right? How can we make it easier? And when the week ends for a lot of individuals, the week ends, like what's a diet? I've never heard of that Spanish. So again, having that planned increase again, makes it sustainable, maintainable for anybody. Um, and I think that's, in my opinion, one of the more important aspects of utilizing diet breaks or refeeds. I love that because now if they do overeat, it's part of the plan. They're not, otherwise they failed. They screwed up. They, they, and now they might quit their diet. Whereas if, like you said, if we prescribe more calories for you, you didn't fail anything. You stuck to the plan. So now again, that does involve not overeating, but you can adjust that. If people love to eat a lot on the weekends, that just simply means we've got to dial back the calories a little more Monday through Friday. Now, one question that I, you know, I always get asked frequently is, Right. If I'm not willing to get into a lab and under the spaceship that we have that tests RMR, what is the best way to, I guess, calculate or figure out what your maintenance calories are? Well, what, what I like, and I'm, I have a, um, I have a, like you said, the spaceship, but if you can just track how many calories you're eating, that's, that's the most important thing because that tells you what your maintenance calories are. Do you gain weight or do you lose weight? If you don't gain weight or lose weight, there's your metabolism. There's your maintenance calories. If you don't want to do that, because that involves tracking your calories for, I would say two weeks straight and weighing yourself every day and, and making sure that you're not gaining or losing um, weight. The other thing you can do is use one of these, um, these, estimating equations like Harris Benedict. So you put in your height, your weight, your sex. I think that's about it. And that it will estimate your resting metabolic rate. Um, and then that doesn't mean that's how many calories you should eat. That just says that's what your resting metabolism is. And then typically you multiply that by, for people like us who exercise about 1.55 tends to be a pretty good number for most people. Um, but I, 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 like I said, I like, if I eat about 2,900 calories every day, I don't gain weight. I don't lose weight. There's, there's my metabolism. My metabolism is 2,900 calories. It's not my resting. It's my total daily metabolism. I agree. I think I always, so what I do for a lot of my clients at first come in, I was like, Hey, let's just do a baseline week. Right. It's trying to teach you how to track habitually. Right. So something that's a behavior aspect that in itself but two, instead of going into a spaceship, it's now, okay, what is actually happening? I can kind of see on a weekly basis, hey, what are your current macro distribution trends? Like, are you low on protein on certain days? Or is on, like you said, two days, you're having an increased amount of calories and that's it. Okay, now we know we need a five to two method on your current nutritional plan as we progress forward. So I, I think, you know, just being able to track and having that buy-in for a lot of clients, um, is really hard and difficult for, uh, for the first week, but almost as we do in our, a lot of our science experiments, it's just like that teaches a lot of our subjects, okay, how to track and what they're actually consuming and what they need to adjust to abide by whatever protocol we're uh, telling them to follow. What do you think some really good ways to introduce tracking to an individual that's never tracked before? nor have they considered it until they speak to someone. Uh, I, I sort of like the approach that you take Dr. Campbell in the program, which when you introduce that assignment, it was, okay, we're going to start off by doing just breakfast. And then we did breakfast and lunch. And then you'd slowly work your way up to fully tracking your full day. Is that what you would now? I, I understand you don't coach, but is that, a good way of building that habit of tracking or what have you heard be successful? 
Yeah, that's what I would do. And I would even dial that back. I would say, let's track your protein. I, my philosophy, I guess, is a protein anchored, flexible dieting approach. So I would say, let's just track your protein at breakfast, make them conscious of protein. All right, let's track your protein at lunch, nothing else. Now your dinner. So then they start to get an idea of what protein foods are and they know how to track it. And now they know if they're eating too much or I don't actually, I don't know if that would be possible <laughs> if they're not eating enough. So yeah, I would almost, I would dial that back in our class. I just said breakfast, but if I'm probably working with a client who has no idea that butter is fat and that pasta is carbs and that chicken breast is protein, I would probably just start with just one macronutrient for one meal and start there and then build on that. Would you do that on a daily basis for the week? So have that individual track protein for breakfast for that week? Yes. Yep. That's and, exactly right. And what would you say is a good indicator for you to up that to possibly breakfast and dinner or breakfast and lunch or breakfast and a snack and taking it to that next step of doing an extra meal or snack? Well, if, if they can adhere to tracking it for seven straight days at breakfast, that tells me, Hey, they can handle this. But if they, if they only do it three days, I'm, I'm not going to add to their workload when they can't do that. Um, and, and then it's possible, you know, as much as I need the track, maybe this is somebody who needs an intuitive approach. All right. You don't want to track. It's obsessive. I get it. Let's stop. If they can, if they, again, week after week, they just not tracking. Well, I, I would be a bad coach if I said, you have to track. No, I, no, you don't. Let's try something else. Um, just identify the protein that you're eating. Can you identify the protein source? Write that down or don't even write it down. Just tell me what it was when we have a check-in. What, what, what has been your protein source? So as much as I need the track, I'm not going to force that on clientele if it's just not working for them. Yeah. And I think that's a inter interesting perspective that I've tried bouncing around and I've tried doing the tracking protein. Uh, and then I find that people are having difficulties with that. So I try to just try to figure out how to take a step back and have them plan ahead. And I always tell people, listen, if you don't want to track, if you don't want to pay attention to nutrition, can you at least like invest in some protein powder and have that more frequently, uh, find one that you like, even if it's once a day, can you add that? Uh, so I I've tried doing that as my simplest approach, but I think I'm going to try to do that as well. Um, Adam, do you have any other remarks you would like to add? No, I think this was great. I just would always, you know, as we finalize each episode, Dr. Campbell, we know you're an avid reader, um, both books and obviously research articles. Um, if you could, could you give us and our listeners the, your top three to five books that have most impacted your life? Yeah. So I'm a Christian. So the Bible would be, I, I, I couldn't, uh, the, what I like about the Bible, it challenges me. So when I get angry at somebody, what's the message that I read, love your enemy, love your neighbor. And um, so I, I like that. It just checks me um, at my worst. So Bible would be number one. So life altering, obviously after that, uh, my personal productivity book is Getting Things Done by David Allen. So I love that his approach to project management and you don't need fancy gadgets. You need a pencil and a piece of paper or you can use an Excel spreadsheet, but Getting Things Done. The After that one, I love the book. And I think maybe we started looking at this was So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport that has given me an appreciation for trying to be excellent, even in the minutia of, of just the daily tasks that, um, I just like we said with body composition, I, I mean, you pinched a lot of, a lot of subjects for that study. Well, I've pinched a lot of subjects in my career, but every time I pinch, like, I'm going to get better at this. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an expert in this. I'm, I'm really not, but it's just this craftsman mindset. So I love that. It, it brought a lot more meaning to me just trying to be excellent in my day-to-day -day work activities. So Bible, getting things done so good they can't ignore you. That's three. 
Uh, um, Raving Fans is a an older book. You guys probably never heard of that one. It's probably written in the 1980s or 90s. But that that is a customer service. I think every coach in the world should read that book. And it's just about unparalleled customer service, essentially. Like, make your clients love you, like fall in love or, or your, your customers, whatever they are. Um, I mean, I want to find, I want to say one more. Um, I guess one other one, I think of you, Adam, it's, it's called the Messiah method. And that's, that was my undergrad university. It's called Messiah college. And this was written by somebody studying their soccer program. So it was division three soccer program. And that, that college had won like nine straight division three national championships. Um, for soccer and it just went through you know why are they so good because they, they had a budget of maybe like five hundred dollars for recruitment um and it just went through i mean nobody expects a division three school to kind of own the world but yet they did and i think they still do uh and it's it's it just talked about team chemistry it talked about the, the biggest lesson I learned from that is if you don't like, and I think I've told you this, Adam, when we've talked about coaching or just research stuff, if you don't like something about your, in my case, my research program, it's my fault. <laughs> I'm the director of the lab. So if I don't like something, <laughs> I have, it's me, it's my fault. So I love that. It's like, it's, you don't like it, change it. Because if you're the boss, it's your fault. You, um, so yeah, that book was just a awesome, awesome perspective of leading people, uh, managing a program. And again, that was soccer. I run a research lab. You guys have clients. Um, possibly you'll have assistant coaches one day. So I, I, yeah, that, that's one of the, I'd say that would be the fifth book that, um, Oh, another one uh, was Chip and Dan Smith. Switch? No, it wasn't Switch. I don't remember, but it's two two brothers from Stanford. Um, it was a book about like telling stories. Like I'm a scientist, but when when you communicate with people, nobody wants data. Data is boring. People forget data. But if you can turn that data into a story, now people can remember. So that's something I took away from that book. They, their second book that I have is called Switch, but I don't remember what the first book was. Gotcha. If you could, could you get that back to us? If you find that, that, uh, the title of it, cause I'd like to read that. Um, oh, the, the one that I can't remember the name of the mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. In my office at work. Um, yeah, man, it's bothering me. But I, I can't. I think since Adam has finished the program, I'm pretty sure he's read about like 10 to 15 books. This man has every single book that someone has referenced. Yeah. He's about to go grab a stack. Every single book someone's recommended, Adam's Just buying this it. One. This is a great book. I, I look at sleep a whole different way from reading this book. Um, and my next book is <laughs> The Wisest One in the Room. This is going to be the next one. Okay. Yeah, hey, this man's on a mission. Yeah, my, my, goal, my goal for this summer was to read a book every two weeks. Um, and then on top of two uh, research articles a day. Um, but – I just have way too much time on my hands, so. <laughs> but it's good. Yeah. I, I I appreciate it, and I, I really enjoy it. That's awesome. I'm I'm currently reading Atomic Habits. You've probably heard uh, of it. Yeah, I, I remember I was reading that, and I asked you if you had read it, and then you told me he sent it to you. That was a really good book. Easy read. I think I did that almost, um, in almost a week. But it's 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 very true, and I love. I remember I started reading the Jocko Willett book, and I. I didn't care for it too much. Like you said, we kind of know that, right? If there's something wrong, stop pointing the finger at everyone else. It's you. It's ultimately your life. You're responsible for it. If you don't like it, change it. But I think the harsh reality nowadays, nobody can really accept that or swallow that pill. So Yeah. Yeah. But Dr. Campbell, for our five listeners, could you please tell them the university they should go to if they need to study exercise science? And let me tell you, like, I, let me hype this program up. Right. Because I know a lot of individuals go to UF, FSU and man, no disrespect to my college that I went to in Division two when I played ball in Uville. Right. There's no 
there's, honestly, there's no better program for honestly physique enhancement. If you want to get a lot of practical application out of your degree than USF. Um, and you got great mentors as Dr. Bill Campbell, Dr. Sam Buckner, Dr. Martinez, I, the list goes on and on and on, but Dr. Campbell, if people want to reach out to you or find out what you're all about, where can they find you, sir? The one place is Instagram. It's really the only place I'm, I'm not involved in any other social media platforms. And my username is at Bill Campbell PhD. And I try to get back to everybody. So that, that would be a great place. Alrighty. Well, you guys heard it here today. The, the man himself, Dr. Campbell speaking all the smoke on mainly physique, but we had some strength talk in there as well. Thank you guys. Go ahead, leave a review, uh, hit that follow button, share, share these messages, these podcasts, these videos, because you might change someone's life by just informing them with this so that they can lose weight slowly, or they find something else that really was the missing piece to their, to their progress.